0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It is Friday at noon, so you know what time it is. We are taking you behind the headlines in our weekly news recap with local journalists working on stories like these. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson is spending $8.6 million to extend the
1: city's deal with ShotSpotter for nine more months. Mayor Brandon Johnson backed out of a commitment with the county and state for the city to contribute $71 million to care for migrants through the end of this year.
2: Chicago's Board of Education passes a resolution directing Chicago Public Schools to end its use of school resource officers.
1: We're going to invest.
3: going to be incremental.
2: Mayor Brandon Johnson is talking about a plan to borrow $1.25 billion to invest in neighborhoods.
0: Our panel today includes Brandis Friedman, co-anchor of WTTW's Chicago Tonight and host of Chicago Tonight Black Voices. Welcome back, Brandis. Hey, hey, thank you for having me. What's it been, 10 years? Or, you know, a a few months. Yeah, same, same. (laughs) This is WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney is here, too. Welcome back, Dave.
1: Sasha, good to see you.
0: And for the first time on the Weekly News Recap, we have Justin Lawrence, who's a government and politics reporter at Crane Chicago Business. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I'll start with you. We'll put you in the hot seat right away. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson unveiled a major economic development initiative on Wednesday. Give us the details, Justin.
3: Yeah, so the the top line details on this, it would be a $1.25 billion bond plan to to, uh, fund $250 million annually over five years in in sort of economic development and affordable housing um, investments. And, And kind of what's interesting and what's key here is this is a Kind of a marked shift in how the city's traditionally funded this. The city has relied on um, an ever growing kind of uh, TIF districts across the city. Uh, these have been criticized for kind of giving the mayor, Mayor Daly, Emmanuel Lightfoot, now Johnson. Um, kind of a piggy bank that they can mm-hmm. shift around and, and move into projects.
0: And by TIFs, we mean tax increment
3: financing. Yes, yes. And the, these these are a bit limited because that money uh, that comes into those distri- TIF districts can only be spent within TIF districts. Uh, so it it can't be spent elsewhere. And kind of the issue with TIFs is uh, the ones that bring in the most money are in the one the areas that probably least need an injection of. of city dollars to, to kind of spur investment there. Yeah. Right? So the argument for this bond plan is, Hey, we open ourselves up. We can spend this money all over the city, uh, not just in within TIF districts. And we can, we can do more with it. We can, we can kind of directly build affordable housing. We can, uh, do an interesting program. I'm not sure the name they've given it yet, but like provide low interest uh, construction loans to private developers mm-hmm. who would then build build affordable housing and then, um, you know, sell it back to the city and the city would maintain it. Uh, kind of a, other cities do this. It would be an interesting and new sort of way for the city to, to yeah. create affordable housing. And
0: you touched on this, but, but help us understand the controversy surrounding these TIFs.
3: Yeah, so uh, when a TIF is created, Um, you know, they kind of set the property value within the TIF district at a set level. And then as the years go on and that value rises, all of the the increment, the incremental value then goes into this TIF bank um, and is used uh, on infrastructure projects and community development grants, sometimes it goes to parks and schools. But those TIF districts, you know, that, that money is then being captured by the by the TIF district and it's not flowing to where it would normally flow. Chicago public schools, libraries, parks, the city itself, uh, Cook County. Um, so th- it's kind of been criticized for taking away. Um, it's, its I think, more complicated than that, right? Yeah. But it's always been something that's been in the news and people have been uh, pretty frustrated when they get created.
0: Absolutely. Well, Dave, is, is this $1.25 billion plan Another sign that Johnson's fully committed to the progressive agenda that we've known him to run on?
1: Well, I think it is. I mean, in his campaign, you know, I mean, he was all about neighborhoods, neighborhoods, neighborhoods. And so this is, you know, the, the, this is being pitched as a way to go back into the neighborhoods and bring resources there. Um, I, I think the one question you have, though, is like, where's the list of projects? What what exactly is this going to fund? Because, mm-hmm. you know, a billion dollars is a lot of money. And the the whole principle behind general obligation bonds, which is what this would be, is that whatever you're spending that on, you hope that you still have that resource functioning and in place by the time these bonds are paid off. Yeah. And as opposed to just sort of like a candy you know, sugar high on the front end of the, the the borrowing. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the important part of the finance piece of this equation. You know, it 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 can't be pork projects. It, it, it's got to have some legitimate use. And mm-hmm. I think you know, from everything that I've pieced together on this, that's a question within the city council. Some some persons have. It's like, show us show us where this is going to go.
0: Y- yeah. What's the likelihood then, Justin, of, of alders actually approving this plan?
3: So, so this is a project that the mayor, um, he's kind of put on a fast track, right? They introduced it at city council this week in February. Um, he's said he wants it approved in March, uh, which is a pretty quick, quick turnaround for such a large project. Um, to be honest, I, I do think that it it seems pretty likely that it will be approved. I think people will have questions about it and they want to learn more details. And, and specifically, aldermen all across the city are going to say, um, how do I sell this to my community? and, and yeah. I would want to sell it to my community by saying, hey, here's what we're getting out of this. Here's what Brighton Park's getting out of this, Rogers Park. Um, So I think there will be a lot of questions, but uh, kind of the key to this is that, again, it can be spent throughout the city, and a lot of aldermen have been blocked out from using or kind of benefiting from TIF because they don't have TIF districts in their wards. So I do think it will be approved probably pretty easily, but there will be a lot of questions over the next month.
0: Yeah. Brandis, let's turn to some other City Council developments, Alders overwhelmingly voted to create restrictions on the opening of uh, new dollar stores. What are the details? Yeah, so uh, Alderman
2: voted 42 to 7 uh, to crack down on dollar stores. And so the the new rules are um, there's a ban on new dollar stores or stores that have uh, where the items are sold at a value of like $5 or less. um, Can't open within a mile of each other. um, And they also have to have um, signage posted with a phone number um, where people who are customers, residents, whatever, that they can call basically to register complaints um, because the problem has been from a number of Alderman's There is a concentration of these stores on the south and west sides, Mm -hmm. um, and they are falling into disrepair. Right? Um, They are overrun with trash, and we all know that trash um, attracts mice. Or they are selling food that is expired. Um, You know, on the flip side of this, though, there are you know some folks some folks who say that these so called small box stores are filling a void
0: that the big box stores left when they left. Yeah, let's hear what 19th Ward Alderman Matt O'Shea had to say on that.
1: Drive past any one of those 149 stores today and you'll likely see overflowing dumpsters, broken fences, broken exterior lights, buildings in disrepair, shopping carts overturned on the sidewalk or in the parking lot. Yet it's funny, when I drive just 5 or 10 minutes outside my community in a predominantly white suburb, I don't see that.
0: So. Justin uh, Brandis brought this up you know the the, the alderman saying here the stores in his southwest side ward they're an eyesore but we also know that they serve a budget friendly purpose for some residents
3: right right and that that's what the dollar stores started to make the case of when they when they push back against this that yes um, and they also said hey look you've you've kind of awakened us we're we're aware now uh, of how how big an issue this is I think the alderman would say, we've been making you aware of this for years and years, and you've been fined, and it hasn't changed anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, now that you're going to pass this ordinance, we're aware, we will fix it. Um, don't prevent us from from opening it and kind of expanding. Um, it it ultimately didn't, that, that argument didn't really pass muster. You know, this was something that got uh, delayed. It was supposed to be voted on in January, and it seemed that this pushback was really growing, and and I thought it might be more controversial to even get delayed again, but it ultimately passed 42 to 7. Yeah. Um, there wasn't much opposition to it once it finally got to a vote. Uh, something to look at going forward, you know, they've uh, there's kind of been hints that this might be litigated, that they might bring a lawsuit. Kind of specifically the way the ordinance is, is written is it blocks ownership groups from locating within that distance to each other and not rather the use of a dollar store or that kind of um, zoning use. Mm -hmm. So there might be some merit there to a lawsuit. Um, The city would not comment, obviously, on the potential for litigation, but that's kind of the next step here.
0: Brandis, the Chicago Board of Education also made headlines yesterday. Fill us in on that. Yeah, so uh, they uh, agreed. I think it was. I'm not sure if it was a resolution
2: or what they what the specific measure it was they passed. But basically, they have decided to remove uh, school resource officers from the schools in the Chicago public schools that still use them. So, so no more cops in schools. No more cops in schools. And we know that this is something that students really uh, began advocating for uh, in in you know 2020 um, when a lot of uh, a lot of you know society began to kind of reconsider the way we're doing things and are we being equitable um, and what's the impact? impact on black and brown students. And so um basically the school district has to come up with a plan by its June board meeting for the removal of police officers in schools by the start of next school year. Keep in mind they are only at high schools and I believe there's a double digit number of schools that are 39 out of 634 district schools are still using SROs. Okay, so they were already being phased out. They were already being phased out. It started a couple of years ago um, where it was left to the LSCs, the local school councils, to begin making that decision on whether or not and some of those LSCs began scaling back.
0: The mayor and city council also weighed in on several issues concerning the police over the last week. Uh, I want to start with the confusion over the ShotSpotter contract. Last Friday, the recap panel and I were debating whether or not ShotSpotter would be turned off that very same day. Well, it turns out this week we learned the city will spend $8.6 million to extend the contract for nine months. That is a bit more than what the city paid for this service for all of last year. Brandis, can you make sense of this? <laughs> no, well... I- Here's my
2: speculation. All right. Um, well, because when the mayor, when the city announced that they were going to um, that they were going to end this contract and it would be phased out by you know this short term extension, um, it, it, I don't think ShotSpotter, run by the company Sound Thinking, I don't think that they had agreed to that deal at the time. And so I think when everybody gets behind closed doors and then they start to work out that deal. Sound thinking is going to make it worth their while um, to to have that extension. I think it's also a blow to them, right? Even when the mayor, who campaigned on getting rid of ShotSpotter, yeah, you probably covered this last week. Even when he said that he
0: was going to uh, cancel this contract, their their stock fell. Yeah, well, I mean, while we're on, uh, you know, going back down memory lane, talk about. The, the controversy here, Brand, is what, what are we hearing on both sides about this gunshot detection technology?
2: So you hear from law enforcement, and we know that CPD Superintendent uh, Snelling has said that this is a, an important part of the, the crime-fighting tool, right? Like the city has invested in a, a large number of these strategic decision support centers around the city that include ShotSpotter along with some other technology that can um, identify where a gunshot is coming from. Law enforcement says it allows them to deploy an officer much more quickly, um, and sometimes there are shots that are picked up on ShotSpotter that no one dialed 911 for. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're saying it allows them to respond more quickly. And I think there was even the argument that they act as sort of a deterrent, right? That like if if a uh, uh, it, it's keeping shots from being fired, right? right? Because someone people knows, knows that, that, that it exists yeah. by this technology. But it's being criticized. It is being criticized heavily, especially because these are mostly in you know black and brown south you know south side west side neighborhoods, um, and there the argument that it contributes to the over-policing of these neighborhoods. And it doesn't you know? always work. It's ineffective. Sometimes and it doesn't it's picking always up fireworks. work. There have been multiple reports um, that it's missing shots uh, or that it's misidentifying shots.
0: Yeah. In other police-related news, Justin, we talked about this one last week, too. City Council rejected an arbitrator's ruling allowing the most serious police disciplinary hearings to be heard in private. Now, this week, the police union showed that it's not going down without a fight.
3: Yeah, and, and this is another thing at City Hall that's been percolating for months. Um, they've had a series of votes on this. So mm-hmm. the entire time, uh, John Cotanzari is the president of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the largest police union, mostly rec- uh, representing rake-and-file soldiers. And at these meetings, he has been, I, I would I've been writing taunting city council and the mayor, you know, as they're taking these votes. Mm, he's what does saying, that look like exactly? Uh, it looks like him standing up behind the alderman and, and shouting things like, you know, open up your wallets because uh, they're, wow. they're going to take the city to court. They've said if the city uh, and remember what the city did, they rejected an arbitrator's ruling that would up kind of the police discipline process. Um, so now the the FOP, they they originally sued. And one, a temporary restraining order from allowing the Chicago Police Board from hearing these sorts of kind of uh, harsh discipline up to a year suspension, up to termination. Mm. uh, Cases from being heard, and now they are seeking kind of the final judgment here, right? A summary judgment to kind of end this process, uh, at least in the first courts level, the city could always appeal, and force the city, even though the city council rejected it, Mm -hmm. even though the mayor wanted them to reject it, to force the city to adopt the arbitration ruling kind of over their objections.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I want to stick with you for just another moment, Justin, for another headline out of city council. We know that things can get heated, <laughs> as you, you sort of just described, but one alderman's being accused of really taking it to the next level. Catch us up on that drama with alders Greg Mitchell and Desmond Yancey.
3: Yeah, and so these are neighbors, uh, you know, uh, along the South Shore. Um the fifth and seventh wards. fifth and seventh ward and alderman desmond yancey introduces sometime back in the fall uh, kind of an affordable housing a, a preservation ordinance that would affect south shore both wards right that both of them represent greg mitchell has been opposed to this uh, apparently um they've had some conversations previous to this that were that were pretty heated but on um not this past week uh but at two weeks ago they had a city council meeting and Greg Mitchell kind of approached him about this. Greg or Desmond Yancey says, kind of out of the blue, he he, they grappled. He he, kind of oh. wrapped his arms <laughs> around his head and shoulders. Uh, Yancey says it felt like he was doing that in an attempt to drag him to the floor. Yeah, um, Yancey
0: claimed he was quote the victim of an unprovoked assault. Yes, by in, Mitchell.
3: In, in that that kind of language that was. Um, in an email to his all of his colleagues and the mayor saying that this happened and i think mitchell should step down from his leadership roles he's the chair of the yeah. transportation committee He's the vice chair of the black caucus Well, they're um, saying
0: it's also not the first accusation against him
3: right i i we should say here that that mitchell has um blanketly denied any sort of physical assault okay um but he yeah a, a couple months ago at, at city hall there was someone who is? It was on the first floor. Was uh, filming Greg Mitchell in a way, and he didn't like that. And he kind of grabbed the phone out of the guy's hands. And mm. then recently, uh, uh, someone in his uh, in the Seventh Ward, who's been um, sheltering migrants, kind of his, at his own cost. He's a landlord. Um, he claims allegedly that you know Greg Mitchell threatened him and uh, was very aggressive in telling him that he doesn't like what he's doing and will okay. hear from him. So. You know, we don't have a resolution to this yet. Um, The Black Caucus met after the city council meeting on Wednesday to discuss this. Um, Both of these aldermen are black. They're both members of the Black Caucus. Um, And the mayor said he would speak to both of them over the next 36 hours, uh, which is about right now, I I think. So maybe we'll hear more about this if he's actually gonna lose his spots, but. um, What does this remind me of grade school? It is. I mean, it is. Principal's office. Mm -hmm. You're in trouble. Yeah. Dave, looking
0: at you before we take a quick pause here for an update on what's happening with aid and services for, for migrants. I'm hearing the city recently closed four shelters.
1: Uh, that's right. Uh, in the loop, North Lawndale, Lakeview and North Park. And that's basically a result of a lull in migrants coming into the city. I mean, January and February are traditionally kind of the the low period of time mm-hmm. when there's migration across the border. Uh, the, the numbers, 42 uh, percent drop in Venezuelans crossing the, the southern border right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the other data points here that are kind of interesting, uh, a little over 12,400 uh, migrants currently being sheltered in the city right now, and that's the lowest since November. So yeah. that's all kind of coming together to, to reduce demand for these. Now, of course, some of them are, are positioned to, to reopen if the need arises, and, and certainly, you know, I think the whole city is kind of on on uh, guard for what happens with the Democratic convention. You know, who, what, what kind of spectacles oh, do yeah. we do we see uh, coming from you know perhaps you know potential enemies of the Democratic Party in the city We are exactly of six months away. That's right.
0: Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you are tuned in to the Weekly News Recap, where we take you behind the headlines of the week's top local stories. Now, before the break, we took a close look at what's been happening at City Hall and City Council. But there's a lot more news to get to.
3: Governor J.B. Pritzker's sixth State of the State address
1: calls for some new tax increases. One big ongoing challenge, the crisis that has brought tens of thousands of migrants to Chicago. Pritzker proposing to spend $182 million to address the need.
0: His proposal would result in a $128 million surplus after increasing taxes on large corporations and sports books to offset a potential $900 million deficit. Still $800 million in additional tax revenue to fund the migrant mission, mental health resources, early childhood education, and birth centers, specifically to help mothers of color. Our panel today to help break down these stories, Brandis Friedman, co-anchor of WTTW's Chicago Tonight and host of Chicago Tonight Black Voices. Justin Lawrence, government and politics reporter at Crane Chicago Business and WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Now, Governor Pritzker unveiled a nearly $53 billion budget this week, Dave. Dave took nearly 52 minutes to unveil that budget. Walk us through a few of his big budget plans and, and who some of the big winners are.
1: Yeah, you and I were together in the studio going, we were. On, going over that on uh, Wednesday. Well, I mean, this was a budget that was billed as, as uh, a rather austere budget compared to some of the other ones he's had because there's been you know, this influx of of income tax and sales tax revenues, plus federal help. And a lot of that is sort of slowing down right now. And so they've, they've been kind of tapping the brakes a little bit. This is, you know, this is not a budget where we saw a lot of cuts necessarily, but it was one where he, you know, continued, as we talked about Johnson earlier in the show, funding his priorities, kind of reaching, you know, uh, re- going after his base, uh, money that went to uh, early childhood programs. That was a, a big area, about $400 million there, mm-hmm. $250 million toward uh, homelessness, uh, a half a billion dollars toward uh, uh, continuing to build Illinois as a quantum computing hub, which is a big priority of the governor. He's kind of a, I, I, you know, I'm going to say a computer geek, but he's much more than that when yeah. it comes to, you know, his interest in trying to develop that that technology in mm-hmm. Illinois. Um, and, and uh, you know, Smaller things that, that I think have a, a broad swath. I mean, there was a, an initiative that it's it's uh, back in uh, prior, prior prior to July, as part of a package that the legislature passed to, to help people contend with inflation. They suspended the one percent state tax on groceries. Yes, and so this is something that uh, it, it sunsetted in July. Yeah, and Pritzker is saying, "Well, let's make that permanent. Let's get rid of that." And it's you know not a big thing for people. I mean, most people probably will forget about it after a certain point in time, but in his speech, he said, you know, it might save a few hundred dollars. He made people. it a big
0: moment. Yeah, for
1: sure. It's, he wanted people to know about it. I thought it, it was so. 10%. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the broad swath of it. I mean, you know, there, there are other piece, bits and pieces of it where he talks about, you know, trying to get the pension systems in line and, and. You know that part of it was was really I think kind of a another outreach to the bond rating agencies because you know he he will he he has touted repeatedly how the state on his watch has had like nine bond rating upgrades and and our finances have become more stable under his watch so mm-hmm. that was a bit of the, another flavor of that speech
0: uh, Brandis. And- anything stand out to you in the governor's address? And some of the stuff that Dave uh,
1: already
2: mentioned, I was, you know, sort of watching and curious about uh, about education and how that would be funded, right. um, just because I remember when the equity-based or the equitable funding formula um, was uh, passed under Rauner years ago, 2017, I think it was. Um, that, you know, that was a big production. That was a big fight. And obviously it, it only works, or the, you know, experts say it only works if you continue to put in the funding every year. And it looks like he's only putting in the 350 million dollars that is already required um because this it i think at the time it took like a billion dollars and so the state would have to put in hundreds of millions each year in order to keep it going and so it looks like looks like he's doing that i was also curious about um you know what he would say with regards to um early childhood um and it, it included what 13 million dollars um, for a new state agency that he has already announced um, about um, early childhood education. So he's creating a whole new, um, a whole new agency. there. are so th- th- those were the things I was kind of looking for and curious about what he was gonna, what the plan was for those because I know yeah. obviously early childhood has always been something for him. So
3: what were you keeping an eye on, on on Wednesday, Justin? Yeah, two things stood out to me, and I'm I'm looking at Dave to keep me honest on the facts and figures here um but but that increase on sports betting right it would more than double it go from 10 to uh 35% that is that's a very large increase uh, year over year he's i believe uh the governor said it would bring in a, another 200 million annually but i mean that's a very fast growing industry um you know i mostly i mostly focus on the city the city only um, has a 2% tax on sports betting. So I, yeah. I, my first thought was maybe the city is seeing that and saying, oh, maybe we should go up a little higher. But um, So that stood out. And then the other, I mean, it's kind of a small investment, but it it would have been a big impact is this um, $10 million to wipe out uh, potentially a billion dollars in uh, state residents' medical debt. Yes. Um, that's a similar, uh, the Cook County has had a similar program um, Cook County, I believe, was using federal covered relief dollars to do this. And it's it's a program that's really one plot. It's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of just a direct, we will buy up your debt and wipe it out. And it's kind of a direct benefit to people who are struggling.
0: Yeah. Brandis Pritzker committed $50 million to, quote, attack the root causes of housing insecurity for black Illinoisans. Any details? Yeah, so, yeah, that's for the funding for the
2: Home Illinois program, which addresses prevention response to um, homelessness, expanding housing support, creating job opportunities. Um, and it, I think he also talked about, uh, you know, services to young adults, those who are aging out of the foster care system, um, who have higher rates of going on to become homeless. Um, obviously, folks, you know, I j- just ran a story about this yesterday, um, about the evicted exhibit and how um, the the relationship between, you know, you miss that rent payment or you miss enough of them, you're evicted before you know it, you're you're unhoused. Yeah. Um, and so uh, addressing that, because we also know that black people are disproportionately impacted by homelessness.
0: Yeah. Uh, governor Pritzker is also gearing up to fight with the powerful insurance industry, demanding major reforms. What did the governor say there, Dave? Uh,
1: uh, Sasha, he's calling it the Healthcare Consumer Access and Protection Act. And it's got, you know, several prongs to it. Um, one would ban uh, what he called junk insurance plans that really, you know, I, I'm not even sure I understand what the point of it is, other than taking people's money. Because it's it it. As I understand it, some of these plans don't even offer the base things that are guaranteed under the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. He wants to. There, I think about a dozen states have have attacked those types of plans that are out in circulation. Uh, there's another piece of it that would uh, go after insurance companies requiring prior authorization for things like mental health services. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's, uh, I, I had a colleague in the newsroom here the other day tell me a little bit about her experience. She has eczema and she went to the doctor to get treatment for it. And the doctor said, Hey, I hate to do this to you, but it's a situation where I've got to prescribe this stuff that, Probably won't work, but the insurance company says I've got to do it. Wow! And and then once that fails, we'll give you the stuff that works. And so that that practice uh, is is something that's being targeted under this plan as well.
0: And uh, Justin mentioned that the governor's budget includes you know spending millions to, to really wipe out some of that one billion dollars in private medical debt for for low income families. How is he proposing to pay for all this?
1: Well, I mean, there's a very short out, or a very small outlay that the state actually has to make to make a huge difference, uh, because you know basically what we're talking about this would this would help roughly 300, 350,000 low income uh, folks who have you know this massive debt that they've accumulated and can't pay for, and and what this would do is is uh, acquire the debt. It would help. It, it would it would it would go through a nonprofit, but it would help acquire this medical debt, and then it, it's negotiated down, basically, and mm. so it goes away. And so this is a this is a, an effective technique to help you know basically improve the lives of people who are on, on the lower strata strata of the ladder.
0: All right. The governor also addressed the migrant crisis during Wednesday's state of the state address.
1: Let's listen. I will not join the chorus of people in this country, or in this chamber. Who eagerly looked to slam shut an immigration door that was once open to our ancestors.
0: So, Dave, what did he actually commit to doing to address the needs of migrants?
1: Well, I mean, this is uh, something that he's uh, said he negotiated with Cook County President Tony Preckwinkle and uh, and, and Mayor Johnson. He's committing 182 million dollars in state resources to to help attack this, and you know that would that would go toward helping. Uh, Um, you know, with the shelters, the welcoming centers, and the wraparound services that go along with that. And that would bring the state's commitment, if that's approved, to $820 million, which is a huge chunk of money that nobody... You know a year or two ago was even contemplating right and and so that that's that but I mean what I've been told kind of repeatedly is this commitment of 182 million of course it's got to be it's got to go now through the meat grinder of the legislature and it may be it may be whittled down but I think there is a question about you know the city's commitment is is Mayor Johnson on board with with his share of, of you know committing resources to this if that's not the case. Uh, I THINK YOU COULD SEE RESISTANCE IN THE LEGISLATURE TO APPROVING 182 MILLION DOLLARS.
0: Let's, LET'S HEAR WHAT SENATE REPUBLICAN LEADER JOHN CURRAN HAD TO SAY ABOUT THE, the GOVERNOR'S
3: PLAN. GOVERNOR Prisker JUST PROPOSED RAISING TAXES ON ILLINOIS FAMILIES AND BUSINESSES BY MORE THAN A BILLION DOLLARS TO PAY FOR THE MIGRANT CRISIS HE CREATED. GOVERNOR Prisker HAS SYSTEMATICALLY USED ILLINOIS TAX DOLLARS TO CREATE A NON-CITIZEN WELFARE STATE
1: HERE IN ILLINOIS.
0: I BET THIS IS HOW MOST REPUBLICANS REACTED, DAVE.
1: Uh, it is. It is. And uh, they're they're trying to use this as a wedge issue for the, the fall. Of course, uh, all the legislative uh, you know elections are in play and they're hoping to make some gains with that. Yeah. So this is a, a topic.
0: Yeah. And, and a good point uh, Dave touched on, Justin. I mean, it's interesting that as the governor, as well as Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, as they're pledging these millions for migrants, Mayor Johnson was unwilling to commit to spend more money.
3: Yeah, they, so they had been meeting, um, you know, the staffs of these three entities have been meeting for weeks, maybe months, to come up to kind of try to finally get ahead of this issue, right? We're always reactive and finding new money and, and kind of in emergency mode. And they were trying to get ahead of it and identify what is needed through the rest of the year yeah. to sustain this kind of mission. And they identified $321 million according at least according to the state and county, and um you know the state and county jumped stepped in with their portion. The state would do fifty percent, county and city twenty five percent each. And uh, at least the state and county walked out of a meeting with the three of them uh, a couple weeks or a couple weeks ago, yeah. and believed that the mayor had committed to at least going to the city council and trying to get another seventy one million. Uh, the mayor's office says he never made that commitment. Um, he was asked about this on Wednesday after the after the, um, the governor's speech, and he kind of. Uh, didn't really say either way again, and and said we're we're looking to a holistic approach to this mission, and and uh, my commitment's still there. But uh, you know, I right, I, I think as Dave said, like they really what they really committed to was going to their respective legislative bodies and seeking this money, and it's going to be hard for for the governor to do this if the city isn't stepping up as well or at least there will be more resistance to to kind of the state funding so much if the city's not going to put in a little more.
0: Yeah. And so, Brandis, a couple of things here. Pritzker scolded Illinois' Republican congressman for cowering to Donald Trump and voting against federal immigration reform. Uh, it really made a point of standing up to Trump as well as Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Republicans in his speech. On the other hand, it was very interesting to watch Pritzker defend Joe Biden in yesterday's address. So I'm curious if it seems to you uh, that he's clearly gearing up to quarterback August's Democratic convention.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it does seem clear to me, doesn't it? Um, it? You know, he got he got a little bit salty yesterday, and uh, he actually equated, you know, something, anything, you know, vernacular that President Trump might drop to something that might be said uh, at, a, at a Klan rally. Um, but, you know, he says the Democrats and President Biden um, negotiated an immigration bill. Bipartisan, bipartisan, along with some Republicans. Yep, yeah, it was go time. The Republicans are like, "Oh, sorry, I'm not, I'm not actually voting for that because President Trump um, said not to do that, um, and because President Trump has said that he wants this to be the downfall uh, of President Biden yeah. come November."
0: One particular po- Illinois politician really feeling the wrath of Donald Trump right now is former gubernatorial candidate Darren Bailey. What happened, Dave?
1: Well, I mean that was. <laughs> That, that that's that that is like upsetting the apple cart in a way that you, you know I, Darren Bailey must be shell shocked. Of course, he was the the gubernatorial candidate that, that J B Pritzker beat. Oh, we um, remember. We remember it well. <laughs> and Darren Bailey had had made you know he he, he had gone to Mar a Lago had 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 his picture taken with Trump. He had a fundraiser, uh, it kind of in the middle of his uh, con, uh, district, uh, or former district uh, with Donald Trump Jr. And so he was just doing everything he could to to uh, curry favor with with trump and that that district the congressional district that mike bost has and that that bailey is going after i think was 56 Mm percent voted for trump so it's trump land yeah and and this uh this upends him it's enough to you know legitimately you know bring his candidacy into question not only that but it might also end his political career it's a big blow it's absolutely a big blow It, it could it could cause him to lose this election let's hit on one
0: more congressional race before we take a quick break dave what is happening with Republican incumbent, Bill Foster?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just profiled that race uh, this past week. And, you know, uh, Foster, as is the case with other uh, congressional Democratic incumbents in Illinois, is facing a primary. He's going up against a, uh, a, a an immigration lawyer named Qasem Rashid. Uh, Rashid is trying to to go after foster on uh, not being willing to call for a ceasefire in gaza uh he says that that foster is beholden to business interests but you know i it, it's it's really it, it doesn't seem as if foster has a whole lot to worry about he's he's uh, run this district or, or you know what most of it for about eight terms mm-hmm. uh and and he's uh you know he's not on anybody's radar in terms of the congressional handicapping groups that we often turn to to see which races are hot and which ones are not so foster is is in pretty good shape, and then whoever wins that primary is going to go up against, you know, one of three Republicans who are who are running in that primary: Susan Hathaway Altman, G- uh, Jerry Evans, and, and Kent Mercado. What
0: suburbs fall in that district?
1: It's it's a it it, it covers virtually every piece of the collar counties. It goes from, okay. you know, down in Will County all the way up to, to Belvedere. And, you know, the thing about Foster, I mean, he, Belvedere was not part of his former congressional district because it got redrawn with the remap here a couple of years ago. But, but when, uh, the Belvedere auto plant was shut down, Foster sprung into action and, and, and helped along with Pritzker and, and others to, to really bore in on, on, uh, on, on President Biden and the United Auto Workers and the automakers to reopen this plant, and they and they did. So, I mean, that's something that, that, you know, it's a big feather in Foster's camp.
0: And we're back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons, and we are in the home stretch of our weekly news recap, giving you a closer look at the top stories across Chicago and Illinois. Before the break, we went through the highlights of the governor's budget address. We still got more news to cover with Brandis Friedman, co-anchor of WTTW's Chicago Tonight and host of Chicago Tonight Black Voices. Justin Lawrence, government and politics reporter at Crane's Chicago Business and WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Now, as we chatted about before the break, Justin, Illinois lawmakers were in Springfield this week. And so was White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf. What was he doing in the state capitol?
3: Well, according to him, he was just going there and talking and not talking specifics and uh, just kind of meeting and greeting and walking around with a a very cool leather jacket. But, um, (laughs) I mean, I think we all know he was there because the Sox want a stadium in the South Loop at the 78 property that's been vacant for decades. Um, You know, our reporting is that he is seeking like uh, roughly $1 billion um, for the stadium itself. Uh, And then there's another hundreds of millions of dollars in... Uh, previously approved TIF district that we talked about before TIFs um that would pay for infrastructure around the stadium and around that larger site to kind of connect it to the rest of the city and uh, unlock its potential um, this deal would be paid by an existing two percent hotel tax on on city hotel stays um which he would argue it, and the team is trying to argue, oh, that doesn't affect residents, right? Those, are, those out-of-towners coming in, and we're taking their money. Mm. Um, and then it would be backed by a second layer. It would be kind of like a t- sales tax overlay district is is how I referred to it. I think it could be called a sales TIF, and that is the state's portion of sales taxes in this 78 development. So as it gets built up and sales tax start getting generated, they would be set aside and used to back this new debt to pay for this new stadium. Um, So that's something obviously the state would have to approve. Um, He's down there speaking to, I believe he spoke to um, the four tops, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, the legislative leaders.
3: Yeah, the legislative leaders. Uh, the four tops. Please yes. <laughs> tell us more. Well, Brand, Brandis I'm and I are looking known. at each other like, like, wait, the four excuse These are not the four I'm tops. At, I'm I gonna, be, promise. We yes. know yes. the four tops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not the four tops. <laughs> the four tops. Some uh, four uh, tops. So these are, yeah, the the Democratic, you know, the the state uh Senate President, the the House Speaker, and then their counterparts on the Republican side, the Minority Leaders. Um, specifically, he has not spoken with Governor JB Pritzker, who is who's um, been he's been dismissive of this. He he said he's not really in favor of of subsidies for privately owned stadiums, but he has specifically not. You know i think he probably could have killed this if he had said absolutely never we're never doing this mm-hmm. and he has not done that and that's opened up the door for lobbying and speculation and uh, continued discussions but they have not met yet so uh, i am sure jerry Reinsdorf would like to schedule that soon
0: i'm just here excited that i got you to talk about tiffs twice one recap <laughs> <Let's see. laughs> what kind of reaction do you think Reinsdorf's getting from downstate
1: leaders well, I mean, I, I think it's uniform. I, I don't think that there is great enthusiasm for this right now because yeah. it, it, people are sort of rightfully scratching their heads here because guaranteed rate field, which was built, you know, on, on the backs of taxpayers in the late 1980s, early 1990s, the bonds for that still haven't been paid off. and. You know, while this, while the concepts and the renderings of this new stadium that he's talking about are beautiful, and and everybody can kind of see a need for how you know that, you know, dressing up the south loop that way, there there is a lot of appeal to that. Yeah, I think it's counterbalanced with the idea that you know this is a sports franchise that that over four decades has won one championship, and and the way that it's been run um, on his watch has left a lot of. Animosity. People just. I, I think largely, though, it's just a question of the public financing piece of this. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a billionaire sports owner, uh, interested in the legacy. Obviously, he's he's as Justin pointed out. You know, I think it's significant that you know the governor has not publicly given him much hope here that, that that he's on board i mean you have you have really one billionaire in our governor versus another billionaire and 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 i That's think right. those battle discussions of battle of billionaires and you just have to think that that pritzker can kind of understand the the underpinnings the economic underpinnings of what it is that Reinsdorf is trying to accomplish here and of course part of that is to enhance the value of this sports franchise yeah and it's it's something that you know is it right for for taxpayers to be helping doing that
2: Yeah. I also wonder if if there's just a bit of fatigue, uh, like from you know us lay people who you know whether or not you're a fan of the White Sox or the Bears or whatever. Like, really, do all of you really need brand spanking new facilities to play your games? And, and I get like I get you know part of the argument right, especially like you know for Bears fans who would love to be able to host a Super Bowl and to and to have a venue that is more modern. There's a lot more allowed, but like. I guess just as I'm a fan of sports, but not a big fan of sports. Yeah. And is there a little bit of fatigue from folks who are just like, eh, "This like, is a lot. Can't y'all. you just it's use what you have? What's wrong with the one you <laughs> have? What's wrong with the one you well, have?"
1: And, and don't forget too that you know we, we we're talking about uh, a new I don't know what it what it even would be called, Comiskey three guaranteed rate two whatever 2.0. point 2.0. I mean, you you have lurking out there this whole question about, and we're, well, I presume we'll talk about this later, but the issue with the Chicago Bears because if if there's if there's just a a crack in the door open for the White Sox, you can guarantee that the McCaskey family is going to be knocking on the state's door as well. Absolutely.
2: Let's get to that And one last thing. Sorry, just like what of the space that you were leaving, right? Is Mm -hmm. it an opportunity for something new and amazing to come there? Maybe, but we don't know what that is yet. Or is it a future empty lot? And that is my concern, especially with uh, existing guaranteed rate field, right? Is anybody else banging down the door to, to put something there? I don't know what it might be, a housing uh, development, an office building, but yeah. does it just become something that is, that I, I is mean, just left empty? I,
1: I mean, if anybody's been driven through the middle of Atlanta, it's an interesting experience because on the south side of Atlanta is old Turner Field where where the Atlanta Braves used to play, and it's still sitting there with no use, yeah, no real big use.
3: Yeah, the and, That's the same thing that would happen The up, idea yeah. that the White Sox are floating, and I'm stressing idea because it's not a plan and there's no, while well, they have financials behind the, their move, they don't have financials behind Guaranteed rate is, oh, you know, you could build up those parking lots that have sat vacant for decades, uh, giving revenue to the team, uh, and build those up, and maybe the Chicago Fire or another tenant could come in and renovate uh, guaranteed rate, which I right. would imagine would also tap into the same uh payment structure that the stadium would be, the new stadium would be built or paid for. So, you know, but that's all an idea. That is, that is not a plan and that it doesn't really, yeah, we'll have to hear more uh, later to see if the fire themselves. Around. And just real
1: quickly, another point here that, that, you know, in, in the late eighties when Reinsdorf was in Springfield to try to make this case for a stadium, he was threatening, of course, to move the team to St. Petersburg, Florida. And, and that was leverage. And now that he's doing that with Nashville, I think that's also set people off a little bit here, too. It's like, you know, come on.
0: And, and you've mentioned the Bears a few times. I want to have Justin fill us in on what's going on with their taxes because
3: they've got some bad news. Yeah, so, you know, they they have purchased, uh, you know, about $200 million worth of pieces of land in Arlington Heights to potentially build a stadium there. Um, and they've been kind of at odds with... Uh, Cook County uh, Assessor, Fritz Keggy, who assessed that property at $192 million. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the school districts that would, that would receive a lot of that tax revenue. Uh, the school district and the Bears, um, they were about $100 million off in their assessments. The school districts were at $160 million. The Bears said, no, it's really worth $60 million. Uh, remember, we demolished the old racetrack there. It's vacant land. Um, and what appears to be happening, it's not finalized is the Cook County border review who kind of is, uh, you know, maybe an appeals process. So the first layer of appeals for these assessments, um, they appeared to have reached, a, a decision to be put that price tag at 125 million. So like yeah. slightly favoring the school districts, there was another, um, one commissioners had a little higher valuation, I think 147 million. Um, so You know, this would be, and then there's another important aspect of this is they, while they were giving them a lower assessment than what the assessor gave them, they are not kind of giving into the bears ask that it be assessed as a vacant property. It would still be assessed at the 25% commercial rate rather than the 10% vacant rate. So that obviously uh, will cause them to pay more in taxes.
0: This bears stadium saga, Too bad I don't have the time to talk about it. But I do want to talk about one more Bears story, Brandis, while you're here. The team's hired their first female coach in its history. What do we know about Jennifer King? One Bears story I feel like I can talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: so, go. <laughs> go. I've got 30 seconds. Um, Jennifer King. No, you got a whole minute. She's Oh, a whole minute. She's uh, 39 years old. She is the first female coach in the Bears history. But, you know, she's also history-making because she's the first full-time black female coach in uh, the NFL's history. Um, and she has experience having played um, professional tackle women's football uh, as well as having worked with the as a as an assistant running backs coach uh, full-time for the Washington commanders for some time. So she's gotten hired um in that role, that same role for the Bears. So that is exciting. I'm looking for. And she's one of, I think, what thirteen, currently twelve women who are full-time coaching for nine NFL
1: teams.
0: Yeah. Timing good on this, Dave. What do you think?
1: Well, I think it is. I mean, you know, of course, that's a it's these teams need to look like us. And that that's that's an important thing here. I think it's it's long and coming. Yeah. You know, bigger question for the franchise beyond the stadium is what who's going to quarterback the team next year?
0: Oh, Justin Fields. Poor guy. I've Poor been guy. seeing the uh, Instagram posts. He's,
3: he's
1: quit following
0: He turned it off. He turned, the, yeah, he stopped <laughs> yeah, following him, But he, he, said following that, he says that he that doesn't noise. mean anything. That doesn't, you know. Sure I think he
3: just didn't want to hear the speculation. And and I am not a Bears fan. I'm from Cincinnati. I'm loosely a Bengals fan. But shouldn't they not decide between the two? Current quarterback and the future quarterback, and just select the first quarter or the first pick as a quarterback, keep this current quarterback, and just that hope would just and pray be that logical. one of them is good. Stop know, coming in here and making yeah, sense. Stop <laughs> trying to decide. What's wrong with you? We need to just have all options on the table. You know?
0: All right, we'll leave it there. That's it for this week's weekly news recap. That's Justin Lawrence of Crane Chicago Business, Brandis Friedman of WTTW, and Dave McKinney of WBEZ. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks. And that is it for Reset. The show is produced by Maha Ahmed, Linnea Dominic, Brenda Ruiz, Micah Yason, Claire Hyman, Andrea Guthman, and Max Lubers, with production help from Ellie Gilbert-Bear. Dan Tucker's our executive producer, and Ethan Schwab is our engineer. Now, Monday on the show, you might remember when Evanston created the first program in the nation giving reparations to Black residents. We'll discuss a project that's collecting the histories of some recipients of these reparations. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. And we'll meet again soon.